I'd like to plug the Chase Thomas podcast. Listen to Chase Thomas. You'll be a smarter sports fan and obviously a much better human being. Matt Chernoff from 680 The Fans, Chuck and Chernoff show here. And I want to say thanks for listening to today's episode of the Chase Thomas podcast. You can find it on Apple, Spotify, and all your favorite podcast apps. Chase Thomas went to Parkview in North Georgia. He's a local Atlanta kid, and he won't let the Luca versus Trey thing go. He interned with us back in the day, and you'll always remember him. Anyway, definitely go check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com where you can find all of Chase's previous episodes, all of his articles, and do him a solid. Leave him a rating and review if you're an Apple Podcast listener. Reminder to listen to our show, Chuck and Chernoff, Monday through Friday, 3 to 7 on 680 The Fan, and subscribe to my podcast as well. Welcome to Matlana, wherever you get your podcasts. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee, uh, over there in Los Angeles, California. My good friend, fellow uh, 49ers hub fanatic, uh, 49ers fanatic, just, you know me, Mr. 49ers all the time. Now, Evan Swartz is here. Evan, good evening, sir. How are you? Good, good. You almost said fellow 49ers fan, and then you just like stumbled. No, I just did away. it on purpose. I was like trying try trying to get away from it. It's okay. Well, people can... ask me, they're like, You have a strong 49ers presence on this podcast. You've you've turned the NFL show into a very 49ers heavy experience because you you had this great rant last week <laughs> on the Niners. Like this is kind of a 49ers adjacent podcast at this point. Well, I, I I think I I can only speak. You know, I'm not I'm not a real. I love talking about the NFL. Mm-hmm. But my my world comes from the 49ers for sure. But like, you know, I feel like this is a 49ers and Falcons podcast. I think it's a yeah. Falcons podcast with some idiot talking about the 49ers every now and then. But that's neither here nor there. Well, one idiot talking about the Falcons too. But we're gonna have someone on this program who's right up there in Detroit, Michigan who is definitely not that and going to make us feel very silly with uh, how good at his job that he actually is. Great podcaster, great data researcher uh, with the doing data science over at Summer Sports with Thomas Dimitrov, another Atlanta connection, uh, former GM, longtime GM of my Atlanta Falcons. Um, Eric Eager is over there from PFF. So uh, good stuff going on over there. But Tej Seth is here. Tej, how's it going, man? Yeah, thank you for the kind words. It's, it's going really well. I'm excited to, uh, to talk some football with you guys today. Well, we haven't had a Lions guy on this program yet. Like, I don't think we've had a Lions-specific portion of this podcast. We've had Eric Thompson, who was great on the Vikings. We've had different folks, Jared Bailey on the Steelers. Like, well, there's just when we bring in different people to talk NFL with us on this Monday night show, um, we've had a lot of different fans um, on this program, but we have not had alliance alliance guy on this and a matt stafford apologist uh <laughs> as you point out in your uh twitter bio but um my question to you like we need to start with the lions the lions hire scotty montgomery as their new running backs coach deuce daly's out the building he moves to carolina to join frank Reich's staff um and then you have um this big year right like the offense was really good you were kind of nervous that you were going to lose both your oc and dc and you might still lose aaron glenn because no one wants this Arizona Cardinals job. It seems like Brian Flores takes a DC job over being the favorite for the Cardinals, which um, I don't know what that says the most about going on in that organization, but it seems like nobody really wants that job. Um, you can read between the lines and why that might be uh, not the best thing. It's like, do I want to deal with Kyler Murray on a daily basis? Uh, 
I don't know. Um, and then you get to keep your guy. Ben Johnson stays like he early in the process who it looked like he was going to be a real candidate in Carolina, Indianapolis, a couple of their spots. He's back and he's he's been seen as this kind of offensive juggernaut and did obviously great work with Jared Goff this year, uh, having hit one of his best seasons of his NFL career. How are you feeling about the Lions and just how big it was for them to be able to keep Johnson, bring in Sky Montgomery, who's a really good uh, running backs coach to replace Deuce Daly because you have been able to run the ball pretty well as well. But like with the staff, it seems like most of this is going to stay intact. In and you you really are at this pivotal offseason for Detroit because you came so close to making the playoffs this year. You end Aaron Rodgers in the Packers playoff run. Now going into next year, there's expectations. There's like, hey, we need to make the playoffs now. This there's no more messing around. Like you have to take that final uh jump. Like I think getting Johnson back is a huge, huge under the radar thing. But where where are you at with all that? You said it perfectly. And I think what the Lions have tried to do with their coaching staff is to get as many former NFL players into the <laughs> building. And we have Scotty Montgomery with mm. where he had some NFL experience. He's coming into the building. He was part of Jonathan Taylor's uh, mm. great season with um, his, his rushing ability last year before it kind of tailed off this year. And like that is what why I think like they think so highly of Ben Johnson is because he's the only coach on staff that really didn't play in the NFL. He's kind of the exact opposite. Uh, got, you know, is the, is the son of two math teachers, got a perfect score on his ACT, uh, is, it, it majored in computer science in college. So like he, he kind of approaches football from a different perspective. And I think that's good for this coaching staff to have because or else it would just be all former NFL players, which is a good thing. And it has worked out, but Ben Johnson's creativity and his understanding of how to really exploit defenses through like innovative play calling that the Lions were running the most diverse run game in the league last year between uh, kind of gap runs and zone runs. They could they could kind of do all of that with their offensive line, as well as a, a play action heavy pass game that really got the ball in Amon Ra St. Brown's hands often. I think like a lot of what Ben Johnson is able to do should be able to continue into next year because of how innovative we saw him this past year. Hmm. What do you think, Evan? Are you just as excited about them keeping him and just where the Lions are at? Are you a Lions believer in 2023 and that they actually, or yeah, 2023, they're going to make the leap? I mean, so like, I think, you know, it's funny is somebody said, we're me and me and Kyle Madsen of Blue Wire uh, as Mm. well. We're talking today and, and he said, we're joking and he said no journalism just vibes and i and i think like that is how i embody that like when it comes to sports like mm. I don't, i'm not a writer but, but i'm all about the vibes and the mm. lions give me like this just glowing orb full of vibes <laughs> and obviously campbell is just like this exciting coach he's super you know i just love the trajectory of it first he starts saying all these crazy things you know he's drinking like 16 ounces of, of, you know, espresso in a cold brew coffee cup. You know, he's biting ankles, all these crazy things. I love that it's like setting the foundation of like, oh, he's this weird, wacky coach. What? This isn't going to go well. And then they start getting better. And then mm-hmm. the, there's buy-in with players. And then, you know, the right hires come in. And all of a sudden, the offense starts clicking. And that wide receiver who just so happened to be coming off of a pretty bad ACL injury – didn't get to play all year. And one of the, the last few plays of, of their entire season, you see this huge, 
huge potential spark at the wide receiver position. Was it Jameson Williams? It's Jameson Williams. Yeah. From, yeah. Yeah. Jameson uh, Malin, Williams. Who I was super, super high on. Right. Yeah. But it just, it just goes to show this is an offense that was always already trending up in the first place. They're yeah. playing hard for this coach. They're beating the Packers and knocking them out of the playoffs. And now here's this potential powerhouse receivers star maybe that's coming through. I'm super excited about it. I'm, I, I have spent a long time as a 49ers fan, no, uh, watching the Packers just basically with a stranglehold on that division for no, just for nothing to come from it, right? They mm-hmm. won a Super Bowl back in the day before I think I was legally allowed to drive and I'm 35. Um, and I'm, I'm, I just, I think it's a so, it's a good thing for the mm-hmm. Lions to be coming in next year as like, a, oh no, this is our division to lose. Like we're, we are in charge now. Uh, I mean, you still got to go do it, but I, I love where they're at as a team. That's kind of wild. Like when we think about it, like, is that the case? Because I mean, Brian Flores looks like it's a really good hire for uh, the Vikings as their next DC. So you like, that was their issue this year with Ed Donatel. Like that defense was Was it the issue. I mean, it was an issue. The offense was was good. The offense was good. I know you're going to go the Kirk Cousins thing, but the (laughs) offense was good. The offense Offense is always good every year, isn't it though? I mean, it was good enough to win double-digit games. Like, it was it was fine. Kirk Cousins is available. Mr. Availability, where well, it's like, let, the man's going to play 17 games next year. Justin Tej, Jefferson's available. Yeah. You you tell us. Mm-hmm. You're, you're the Lions guy, right? Are you worried about anything the Vikings will do? Not not necessarily next year. I I think some of their, their roster is, is pretty barren. I think that they're going to probably take a step back anyways hmm. because, like, when from 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 what their their record was, I think like they and this was mentioned by like a hundred different people. But when you look at kind of their point differential compared to their their actual wins lost, they didn't really match up. They they ended up having a pretty poor uh, point differential compared to like what yeah. the record was, and they they won a lot of those one score games. But I still do think the Vikings are like a good team because when you have Justin Jefferson, you're going to be in every game. And he's that special of a player where no matter if you're, if you're down 10 points entering the fourth quarter, he can completely take over a game like he did against the bills this year. I also think it's funny too. We overlook like there's some history now too. And there's some weird, I wonder if there's any bad blood, but like, TJ Hawkinson just getting traded in the division uh, mid season is just such a weird trade that you never see in the NFL of just being like, yeah, we're going to move on from Hawk. Like that's, uh, that's it. We're going to go ahead and say that's not working out and you can go do your thing in in Minnesota. Like that was just something that I, at the time you're like, that can't be right. Like what, why would you trade him mid season? You thought he was going to be a long-term fixture in this Detroit Mm -hmm. offense. Were you surprised that they cut bait with TJ that quick? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that was the second trade that they made with Minnesota in the the matter of months. Like Minnesota yeah. let them trade up to get Jamison Williams, so right. it was really interesting to see two interdivision trades there. And I was surprised by that trade because I think Quasi uh, Adolfo the the Vikings GM, mm-hmm. I think that there is an edge right now with with signing tight ends that are you know essentially putting up wide receiver two production two mm-hmm. extensions because you have to pay them about $4 million less than what you would have to pay a wide receiver to like mm-hmm. the Christian Kirk contract is really infamous, but there's a lot of those, those contracts that these wide receiver twos are signing that are getting pretty expensive. Mm-hmm. But when you look at a lot of the, the sharp teams around the leagues, like the Eagles with Dallas Goddard, the chiefs with Travis Kelsey, the 49ers with George Kittle, they've been kind of having this edge for a couple of years now. And I think some other teams are starting to catch up to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but 
it, it ended up being a win-win kind of for, for both teams. The Lions were able to replace Hawkinson's production in the aggregate with Brock Wright and uh, Shane Gilstra. And then the, the, the uh, Vikings got someone who could really get them converted on third down when Justin Jefferson was getting double teamed. It's going to be interesting what the Vikings do at wide receiver because I think Thielen's probably going to get cut, it seems mm-hmm. like. And if you cut Thielen, I just that's so much attention on Justin Jefferson that you're going to have to... I wonder if they invest a, a high pick at yeah. wide receiver because this this class is not... I mean, maybe they just signed DJ Chark because they're just trying to I mean, rebuild uh, the... the uh, they're just going to keep pillaging uh, the lions of guys that they don't want anymore on the offensive side of the ball. I like, we'll take DJ Chark. We were all kind of waiting, though, for Adam Thielen's as potential yeah. fall. Off, and I think he lasted a lot longer than I think some might have expected. So, them finding a replacement is a long time coming, anyways. It's yeah. I think they should have been planning for it. Um, offseason expectations, though, for the Lions. What, what would you say is the biggest things that you're expecting this team to do to kind of get them and uh, get things in order to clear up some of the stuff that limited them uh, in 2022 that should not limit them in 2023? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think they're going to pour a lot of resources into their defense. And Mm. we haven't seen Brad Holmes, the Lions GM, splurge in free agency in a big way. He hasn't signed a a big ticket free agent uh, yet in in his two years as as Lions GM. But I think that might kind of break this year where they might go out and get like a a true veteran on defense and free agency, like a James Bradbury, just to have Mm. some pieces there and then draft other players at that position that can kind of supplement that. Like if the, the with the Lions uh, six overall pick right now, the one that they got from the Rams, if I had to guess <laughs> what position that pick was going to be, it was, I, I would think cornerback. Um, I, I, I think that there's Is there a, a corner. You can take that high this year though. I think Devin Witherspoon could be, could be worth it. Is he the Illinois uh, kid? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's so, high though. High for yeah, an Illinois it kid. Would be high for corner. Maybe they trade back like somewhere yeah. later in, top 10 and end up taking a corner but that's probably their biggest need they have need at linebacker at yeah. uh, interior defensive lineman as well so i think they'll they'll also be some draft picks there and then they also need to take uh some offensive guards as well so i i, I think those are probably the main areas of need and then a want could be some type of quarterback in the draft if they fall in love with someone like an anthony richardson or a will levis but there's still a lot of time to to kind of see how that plays out what does the fan base want, do you think? Like when you talk with your Lions friends and interact with folks on Twitter, do they want to take a quarterback in the draft? Do they want to go and maybe look in free agency? Like, I guess it doesn't really make as much sense with Jared Goff performing the way he did. So if you do replace Goff through the draft and like, I don't know, is there is there an impetus to do that? Or do you do you get the sense that like Goff showed enough this past year that it's still we ride with Jared Goff, which is insane to say in 2023 uh, with this Lions team. Yeah, I think it like 60% of Lions fans do want to ride with Jared Goff next hmm. year. And then there's probably like 30% that want to draft a quarterback. Um, I think like if you were to kind of split the difference between it, you could draft a quarterback at your second first round pick at number 18 overall and have hmm. them sit behind Goff for a year. But you'll have to kind of see how, how the board falls. I, I do think Goff will be the week one starter next year for the Lions, even if they do, out, do go out and, and get another quarterback in the draft. Is it is it weird for the Lions to finally have the the running back position figured out? Like, how do you how do you as a Lions fan even I guess like cope with that? Because that's been like in your DNA for the last twenty years. Is like let's figure out what's going to happen with the running back position, and you don't have to now. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's a great point. I mean, I, I wish Stafford got the run game that the Lions <laughs> ended up getting having this year, but it, it is, yeah, it is interesting that I, I still think like it'll be really intriguing to see what they do with Jamal Williams. Like DeAndre Swift is a great running back and Jamal Williams had a ton of touchdowns this year, but like his efficiency metrics weren't super great, but he's the best culture builder probably mm-hmm. in the NFL. And I think a lot of people saw that on hard knocks or with the other clips that lines are putting out. So how much they value culture will be interesting because you'll have to overpay for Jamal Williams's production to keep him. But if you value his personality that much, which they, they, might as well like i think it'll be kind of like cool to see like them give some money towards him considering like how, how much players in the locker room like him hmm. i mean I, I the reason the one thing that i've kind of looked at with the lions is like the offense is not something you're worried about at this point right picking at pick 18 if you look back at it it's literally i mean go go through it is jair alexander dory jackson uh what was it marcus peters calvin Pryor, eric reed like it was just all defensive backs for the most part if you, you know at in recent memory is there a non-offensive position or non kind of defensive back position that you think might actually make sense for the lions yeah, I think, it, like, like I mentioned earlier, interior defensive linemen I, would, would probably make sense for them. They took uh, Levi Ozerinke in the second round uh, two years ago, and because of injuries and kind of like some poor play, he hasn't really panned out. So they could be looking for some type of three technique uh, from that pers- perspective because Ali McNeil kind of has that other spot down. He was a third-round pick in that same draft, and he's he's played pretty well, but they're weak at interior uh, defensive lineman, so I, I think they could go with with some type of defensive tackle there. Hmm. I like it. Um. Well, Evan, your team, D'Amico Ryan's takes the Texans' job. Uh, so you have a DC spot to fill. You interviewed Steve Wilkes uh, this week. Vic Fangio staying in Miami, um, reportedly, and we'll see uh, what happens around the league where else. But like, what is the current status for uh, the Niners' DC search? Could they still promote from within? What do you think happens no. there? Ultimately? No, Chris Kasurik is one of the highest paid, I think, non-coordinator coaches in the NFL mm-hmm. at the defensive line, and I, I think he needs to stay there. He's, he's the best defensive line coach in the NFL, and I think just if you look at the the production, especially from the types of players, some you know coming in from different teams, not not playing well, some have left and then you know not played as well. He's got to stay there. That said, uh, Ian Rappaport said today it kind of sounds like Steve Wilkes is going to be, um, you know, most likely going to be a fit for that position. Uh, I personally would absolutely love that. Uh, as a, you know, I, I've kind of really spent the last few years really hesitant about these young defensive coordinator hires just to be aggressively wrong, right? If you look mm-hmm. at Robert Sala and how, how well he did. Um, and then, of course, D'Amico Ryans, who I was really worried about, right? Former player, you know, had some had some background in coaching, but, like, obviously this was a big jump for him. And he knocked it out of the park. He was one of the best defensive coordinators, probably the best last year. Now, what I will say is the 49ers defense seems to do really well, and they seem to win whenever Nick Bosa's in in the game, mm-hmm. healthy playing. So whoever comes in, whether it be Steve Wilkes or somebody else, I think they've got a pretty easy situation for them as long mm-hmm. as Nick Bosa's playing. They've got to figure out the other side of the ball, uh, or not the other side of the ball, the other side of the line, because it was kind of a rotation uh, with Samsung Ibukam and 
you know, uh, Jordan. Is Wills. Trent Williams back? Who is Trent Williams going to come back? Is he back? Funny. Why? Why are you saying that? Of course he's coming. Okay, back. I'm just asking. Like he's getting no. up there. Like what if he retired? Like what if? No, he- no, no, no. Okay, well I will say this. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I don't know if we would cover it down the road. Uh, someone, one of the, I think it was Matt Barrows with the Sacramento Bee had mm-hmm. uh, was talking to him and was like, like led the entire thing all the way. Like, well, you're getting a little old, and mm-hmm. players at your age, when they're this age, you know, start to think about retirement. It's mm-hmm. obviously hard when you play three really long seasons because you've been in the playoffs through, you know, blah, blah, blah. Are you thinking about it? Do you ever thinking about it? And he was just like, I mean, of, of course I think about it, but mm-hmm. like, you know, I mean, basically, he'll be 35 this year. He was, but he basically was like, I'm nowhere near done and I want to w- win a Super Bowl. Like, if, yeah. like, that was the context of me listening to it. And then, of course, you just saw headlines Trent Williams <laughs> considering retiring. Like, it's not what he said at all. Not mm-hmm. even close. Um, but no, I think the big thing, and it's really hilarious to me, is like, I don't, I said it today, I don't know if it's recency bias, um, but the NFL is really starting to crowd up with uh, all of Kyle's former coaches. <laughs> like the entire, you know, Kyle Shanahan scheme, whether it be Green Bay or Miami or the Jets or even Cincinnati, you know, some of McVay's people, like, it's starting to fill up and Mm. I am, I think the big issue for me is going to be, you know, uh, if you lose all of these kind of coaches, uh, you know, the, obviously you're going to see leaving with D'Amico Ryan's going to Houston, uh, Bobby Slowick, they were talking out there are run game coordinator going, uh, to be the offensive coordinator and things like that. I do think we're getting to a point where it's like the 49ers just keep losing coaches because they keep getting head coaching hires. Thus they take with it. It's like, that's the thing that I worry about. Can you keep the momentum going the turn when you have all of that coaching talent leave? That's the, I'm more worried about that than really players. Uh, the Niners have, for the most part, uh, you know, a lot of people coming back, and the ones that are leaving might not be as big of a deal as we'd hope. Do you share that sentiment, Tish? I think that's a really good point. I, but I do think it is a testament to Kyle Shanahan's ability to kind of find these coaches, and he's had a really good track record of finding both offensive and defensive coordinators that have gotten a lot of success in San Francisco. And then that's led to uh, a a head coaching position. And so I I do trust that he's going to be able to do that again. But I think something we eventually saw with like the Patriots, for example, was like, there becomes a point where they're like the, 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 it's kind of been drained completely. Like all, all like this kind of like nucleus of, of talent that you have does become drained. But when you're going after someone like Steve Wilkes, uh, like like you mentioned, like I think that would be a, kind of a home run hire because that defense played really hard and well for him when he took over as head coach with the Panthers, and he's shown to be a really good defensive mind. I I don't know if he'll be able to replicate what D'Amico Ryan's was getting because D'Amico Ryan's was probably the best defensive coordinator in football this year, but he still has a ton of talent to work with between the defensive line. Uh, the linebackers and, and some of the secondary pieces that they have there as well. So I, I would be kind of interested to see how that, that plays out. I want to know, like, this is like a different take than I guess y'all would know, because like uh, me being a big, big Tennessee guy, obviously, like 
I watched Steve Wilkes' defense get absolutely eviscerated by Tennessee two years ago. He was the DC at Mizzou, and he's been good everywhere defensively, right? Like yeah. the Carolina guy, yeah. like the defense are good. That Mizzou defense was horrific. Like Tennessee ran for like almost 400 yards, like right the middle. Like the whole week we were like, this is what's going to happen. Tion Evans and Jabari Small is going to run it right up the Mizzou defense. Like we're, they fired their defensive line coach after that game. Like it was so bad immediately after it was like, all right, change that we make. Cause like Tennessee dropped, I think it was 60 something. Is this just Mizzou. a way for you to bring up a Tennessee? No, game? the way this is my thing is like the Steve <laughs> thing where I'm like, I don't understand why he had that blip. Like for whatever reason, the Mizzou year was terrible. And I don't so, understand why I would love to hear his take on it. Like I want Steve Wilkes to tell me what happened that year. One, Let's mm. just realize that it's Mizzou, right? Like the talent mm. level there is not exactly going to be otherworldly, right? And Tennessee's you know, hey, they put out guys team. like William but, Moore, Falcons legend. But let's, from 20 let's years just, the one thing I do want to say, and, and mm. I, 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 before we get away from it, which I think we might be soon, is the 49ers have shown, and I think it's very important that, you know, a lot of people were like, oh, well, you know, um, the minority hiring is just like, Oh, the interview process. They're just interviewing these people just to check the box for the Rooney rule, et cetera, et cetera. I think Kyle, John Lynch, you know, and Jed York to, you know, deserve some credit too, are doing a really good job of showing like, not only is it a good idea to hire minority coaches, but right now they are dominating the head coaching hires. And in fact, it might just show like how much teams have done a poor job in recent memory of, of realizing the potential there. Um, even like Anthony Lynn, right. Who is probably going to be going to either a head coaching job eventually, or maybe going to become a defensive coordinator soon. Like the 49ers are just happy, happy to bring these coaches in, whether it be young coaching talent like D'Amico Ryans and giving him an opportunity, Robert Sala too, or, you know, maybe potentially Steve Wilkes, who's already got that experience. And they're over here benefiting for it. You know, we traded a bunch of picks for Christian McCaffrey, right? We traded a bunch of picks for Trey Lance. But if you look at how many draft picks they have had this year, last year, and they'll have next year because of the comp picks, you know, some people are like, oh man, you know, maybe like, Maybe is kind of is it kind of weird that they just are they doing it for the comp picks? I mean, I don't know. They sh they should be because they're certainly showing that yeah, you get comp picks or whatever, but you're also getting the best talent at the coaching position. Yeah, and, and like, it's also you're getting the comp picks because they're good at their job and they are getting picked up to go to be the head coach at Houston. So it's like one of those yeah, you're getting the comp picks, but it's like they're not doing it for the comp picks. It's just a result of for hiring well and finding right. talent and giving them opportunities and then they get a bigger opportunity elsewhere like that's just, the goal i just think that that should be spoken about more i think it should yeah. be celebrated more like it, at first we were like okay it makes sense like give them comp picks if they you know yeah that makes sense the niners are just out here showing that not only are they you know hire you know they're they're building up these coaches they're the best coaches that they are yeah. no one is have you seen the video of D'Amico Ryan's coming into the Texans facility. Mm. It, it's impossible to watch it and not get goosebumps. Mm. Like, and I, I say this is like, I've not been a fan of the Texans, uh, yeah. you know, as an ownership for a long time, but like they were so happy. And you think about, if you look at like Mike McDaniel, when he went to Miami, like they were like, Oh my God, we did it. You know, the video of him on the, on the PJ, right. Like flying in, like everyone's so excited. Like 
I just I can't speak enough, and I, I don't want to come off as rambling, but it's just I'm very happy to be a fan of a team that has done such a good job at showing how good minority coaches are mm-hmm. and how much of an untapped potential it's been because of the stupidest reasons. Yeah, no, I, I'm I'm really glad you said that, and I think like when teams, whether it's inherently or on purpose, like aren't hiring minority coaches. I hope that the 49ers and the success that they've had both as a team and those individual coaches have had kind of becomes a testament to that because they've showed like, all right, if a lot of you guys aren't going to hire these really, really talented and innovative coaches that are going to be successful, uh, no matter where they are, like we'll hire them. We'll be able to kind of get like their, uh, their really like kind of coaching talent for for a couple of years and then we hope that they'll get into a head coaching position eventually and it's it's been really nice to see so i'm, I'm glad you brought that up i like it um last thing on the niners though evan looks like brock purdy is not gonna be able to avoid surgery i have this like image of like brock going from doctor to doctor the last week where he's like nope not gonna work for me i'm gonna fly to wisconsin and meet with this doctor and they're like i don't know it seems like surgery he's like nope not gonna work for me i'm flying to alabama uh so what what can you do for me can i avoid surgery Mm, not not looking good brock i think you're gonna need to have surgery on this i just i feel bad for the kid because it seems like I mean, it's just such a freak injury, right? Like, this is just insane that he had this. It's the most Niners thing, too, when we talk about just mm-hmm. the who the the Niners injury luck at quarterback over the years now that, like, he he has a pitcher injury in a, the, an NFC championship game. And the odds of that kind of injury and that kind of UCLA, UCLA, UCL tear is just so unlikely just so minuscule so insane to think about like that's a possibility for a, a baseball injury yeah a baseball injury like what happens now six months out it looks like minimum it's like six months he's gone and then it's like the rehab it seems like it's going to be you have to be very careful getting him back on the field and getting him souped up it's like this is now trey lance's show and you heard lynch talk about uh, him and kyle at that press conference i was watching that i guess last week now where it's Trey Lance's show and they're like he has to stay healthy and prove to us that he can stay healthy essentially and you're like man I I am so curious to see what happens this summer and this spring but Trey Lance there's no excuses now like you have no competition there's no Jimmy Garoppolo they nip that in the bud they're like he's not back Brock's on like he's on the shelf this is your time like this is only you you have to stay healthy you're gonna have the full opportunity to do this sucks for Brock but I mean, this is this is it for for Trey Lance, right? So first off, I don't know if it's my innate like need and desire to defend a 49ers quarterback because I've been <laughs> doing it since Alex Smith, uh, but I will not be changing my ways here. Mm-hmm. I don't know who the hell John Lynch thinks he is saying he's got to show us that he's been healthy. Like, what do you? He got a little ding last year when he had to come in because Jimmy got hurt and then he plays one game in a monsoon literal monsoon and the next game snaps his ankle in half because you ran him down the middle of the field like does Brock Purdy need to show that he can stay healthy now because he ripped his shoulder like I I don't what is that does like does Nick Bosa have to show that he can stay healthy because of the ACL tear? Like, what was the point of even saying that? It's a, an absurd thing. 
I, I never liked in the first place that the players were like, oh, the well, you know, like the report came out from Matt Mayoko that the players will be upset if it's not Brock Purdy's show. Like, listen, I was just as happy as everyone else watching Brock Purdy do things that I've never, you know, never seen done. Breaking all likelihoods of in, no reason that that should have ever been able to be accomplished by the last pick in the draft. I was overjoyed. It was incredible to watch. It's one of the most exciting things as a 49ers fan, as an NFL fan that I've seen in a long time. It doesn't get better than Mr. Irrelevant playing really well in his first year and winning playoff games uh, against the Cowboys. You know what I mean? Like, so I love to see that. But at the end of the day, I also want Trey Lance to get the shot that he deserves, right? They, you know, rightfully so. You drafted him knowing it was going to be a long approach. You weren't going to start him right away. You wanted to give him the year off. It's not his fault that he snapped his ankle. Like, what is he supposed to do? Is there is there a workout for that? Is there a stretch for that to make 300-pound linemen falling on your ankle not break it in half? Like, is he supposed to drink more milk? I don't really... So like, I'm at. I listen. I would love if Brock Purdy was healthy. I would love to have that position. When you know, before he got injured, that's what I was like saying. I was like, what I want is both QBs to be healthy. Quarterback competition in camp, best best quarterback wins. Right. If it ends up being a Matt Flynn Russell Wilson scenario and Brock Purdy beats him out, awesome, great. It'll be great for our cap space. But like that was what I wanted. And uh, I, I think you're right. I think the longer that this news has, has gone with Brock Purdy not deciding whether or not he's going to have surgery just guarantees to me that he's going to have Tommy John surgery, which is, what, a year, basically, straight up? I mean, it's – I just but, don't see him being physical. Like, I don't know. No, but I mean, not, 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 not us, though. Like, yeah. literally, it's – Tommy John surgery means you're out a year. Like, mm. that's pretty much what everyone has said. And from there as well, right? Like a lot of people are like, oh, I got Tommy John, sur- Tom- Tommy John surgery and my arm feels great, right? Some had said it even felt better. Uh, pitchers had said that their arm felt better. But the arm strength does take a hit. And Brock Purdy never was a, you know, a cannon of an arm in the first place. It's a really bad situation for a really good story. I don't know if he goes in with Tommy John surgery. I don't know how... It'll, I don't know how you, I don't, it's like I said, it's just if not it's Tommy John. He's gone all next year, but if they uh, do the other thing, which has also been reported, it's but, like, if he can avoid it, um, but he gets he, like an internal brace, which I don't really understand. And it's then, just like self healing or whatever. But like, if that yeah. was going to happen, they would have done that already. I think you're right. He's been going around trying to get second opinions. Cause everyone is like, uh, dude, your arm is ripped in half. Like you need surgery. Yeah. So, you know, Trey Lance is supposed I mean, to be on UCL. Like, I just, right. I don't know. He, uh, Trey Lance said he's going to be healthy for OTAs and camp. Yeah. But that's not going to be enough. Right. So I don't want Josh John, like Josh Johnson. Listen, man, thank you for your services. You've been signed by the 49ers 674 <laughs> times. Um, I think that needs to be the last time. Okay. It was, it, you know, we we're happy to have a fourth string quarterback there because it was necessary, but. Now you got Jake Hayner, the Fresno State legend, the Mr. Next Brock Purdy. I think he was the MVP in the senior ball this week. I know. He looked good. He looked good. A lot of, a lot but of, but here's the thing fans. about that. 
when people do this, it drives me nuts because they do the thing where um, <laughs> who's the next Brock Purdy? Okay. The thing about Brock Purdy was no one saw Brock Purdy coming. There was no, no who's yeah. the next guy. Like the whole point of this is that it happens very rarely and it just pops up where it's like Mr. Irrelevant became a great player. Like there is no next Brock Purdy. Like, it's I, I, will, 20 I, will years. <laughs> I will say this. It is impossible to have there be another Brock Purdy, but it, it is yeah. not impossible to recreate the situation because the situation has mm. not changed. Uh, they will still have Debo Samuel. They will still have Brandon Ayuk. They will still have George Kittle. They will still have Trent Williams. They will still have Kyle Shanahan, right? Christian None McCaffrey. and Christian McCaffrey. Sorry. I, listen, man, I'm still getting used <laughs> to that one myself. Uh, but those players are still there. That offense mm. is still there. I think the offensive line is going to get better, right? Those are some young players in there this year. So I do think that I, I said it myself. I think they should take with one of their third round comp picks, they should draft a quarterback. Uh, you know, Bill Belichick drafted a quarterback every year that he had Brady basically. So mm -hmm. I, I don't see anything against that. I'm just kind of worried about like what you do. Like you got to bring in someone off the street. I don't want Sam Darnold on my team. What do you do? What I don't do you know. Think, I think Tash? they're going to draft somebody. I'm going to guess. What they would draft you somebody. do? I mean, they're, uh, I don't know. What do you think? Tash? Yeah. I mean, First of all, I really enjoyed that that discussion from from you guys, and I think yeah, your knowledge on on the 49ers is is really uh, interesting. And I think I would roll with Trey Lance as QB one next year, but like Jacoby Brissett is going to be available and could be like really good in that offense, especially if he played like he did with the Browns this year or or some type of journeyman like that. So I I think that's like the direction. I would go with uh, if for for backup quarterback where you can kind of get a, a quarterback that's okay with being a backup, but has shown like an ability to be pretty efficient and in, in other systems before as as just kind of like a fail safe there in case like the the whole Lance experiment doesn't work out. I think the 49ers were going to pursue Brady if he was available, yeah. and so that kind of put like, some foil in their plans there. So I think someone else that that they can have just in case. The whole Lance thing doesn't work out. You know, interesting. I think your point about Brissett's actually really smart. I hadn't personally thought of that yet. Um, but if you're Brissett, that's probably best case scenario, right? Yeah. You're like, I can beat Trey Lance out. Mm -hmm. And you're like, why wouldn't I want to play with all these players and Kyle Shanahan? Like, that's probably a situation where you're like, get me in there. Yeah, mm -hmm. I agree. I like it. Um, well, we'll see. A lot of offseason. We'll see how the Niners approach the draft and all that good stuff. But it will be interesting nonetheless, because if nothing else, there's one thing we can count out with the Niners. It's that their quarterback situation is always going to be interesting in the Kyle Shanahan era. Never a dull moment uh, with the Niners. Um, this is, I think, one of the more under talked about. And I think Cowboys fans, if I'm a Cowboys fan, I've had it. I've already gone nuclear over the last two weeks of what's happened here. Kellen Moore mutually agrees to part ways with the, the Cowboys immediately picked up by the chargers to, uh, to take over that offense with Brandon Staley in LA and work with uh, one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL right now, Justin Herbert. Like I, when I saw Brian Schottenheimer was rumored to get elevated. And as someone who has watched a lot of Brian Schottenheimer over the years to get the OC stuff, it's like, he's not going to call plays. All right. Well, he's in that position where if Mike McCarthy struggles to call plays, which he struggled last time he was calling plays in green Bay, 
then it's going to go down the ladder. And that next man up is Brian Schottenheimer, who last time was calling plays, was one of the worst offenses we have seen in the NFL in the last couple of years with Jacksonville and the dumpster fire that was the Urban Meyer, Brian Schottenheimer era in 2021. And look at this, the difference with Doug Peterson uh, coaching Trevor Lawrence versus uh, what it was looking like two years ago. And it's just night and day. Jacksonville wins the division, just uh, all kinds of great uh, stuff. They get to the AFC divisional round. Uh, they they look great. Like their things are heading in the right direction in Jacksonville. I cannot believe what's happened this offseason for Dallas. Like you were so close. Your defense is elite. Micah Parsons is a star. You have Dak. You have CD Lamb. You have Pollard who's broken out. The offensive line should be healthier going into next year. Like you should be in position where you're like, hey, you can compete in the NFC East again. Are we sure the Eagles can run it back like that? They should have been a contender next year. Like this was supposed to be a gap year. They kind of overachieved um, based on like they had to make some diff- difficult decisions with Amari Cooper and company. And they were like, we'll have more cap space going into next year. Like next year is the flip. Like this is kind of an in-between year. Then you move on from Kellen Moore and it's just, it's going to be Mike McCarthy calling plays and then Brian Schottenheimer as OC. I cannot believe that this is the offseason Dallas is having. I would be absolutely out of my mind. Just uh, apoplectic for me if I'm a Dallas fan. Do you share that sentiment? Like they're out of their absolute minds doing what they're doing right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Um, I like how you laid that out. I think I liked Kellen Moore. I thought he was creative. I thought he, from like an efficiency standpoint, their offense ranked really highly every year. He even got some juice out of Cooper rush when he had to play. Um, but the only thing that would help me sleep at night, I think if I was a Dallas fan is I am with you that I wouldn't be happy with how things have gone. But I think Dak is so mentally up there with some of the top quarterbacks in the league that he can kind of keep this offense afloat on his own. Um, you know, if, if like, if you allow me to get like a little nerdy for a second here, yeah. So when, so I, I, I built this model basically one time that tried to see how much influence a quarterback had on their own rushing game. So like obviously Lamar Jackson showed up number one, like mm. even when he's not running with the ball specifically, him just handing off the ball has so much gravity that it mm. takes linebackers with him that helps the running backs. Dak was number two on this mm. list. And when I kind of went back to see what made him so successful He's at the line of scrimmage more than almost any quarterback in the league, uh, checking, switching protections, killing plays and audibling to other plays. And he kind of does so much from a mental perspective that I think that it makes his offensive coordinators look better from Mm. time to time. And that could help uh, Brian Schottemeyer and and Mike McCarthy call plays here in Dallas is that Dak is pre-snap so mentally good that it can it can kind of like smooth over some of the bumps that Dallas might have next year as they transition. Hmm. But do you think that's ultimately what happens? That they're okay and Dak does just he he's good enough and smart enough as just a, a offensive mind and quarterback that they don't take a major step back. Or are you betting on a major step back and that McCarthy's fired and Dan Quinn's the head coach for the Dallas Cowboys in 2024? Mm. Yeah, I, I don't think it'll necessarily be a major step back. I mean, the, with Dak, their offense was was very effective this year, and it probably won't be as much next year. But if they do kind of fix some of their issues, especially getting a second wide receiver in there, that can that can really make a difference if they choose to spend a high pick on that or, or use some of the, the salary cap that they might get from a, um, Ezekiel Elliott restructure or, or cut or something like 
I think that there's there are paths for this Dallas offense to stay at the same level or get better. It's just probably less than a 50% chance because of some of the moves they've made, like you mentioned. I just don't see listen, it. Listen, listen, yeah. guys. Listen, listen. This is Evan's Super Bowl right here. He, he loves nothing more than the demise of the Cowboys. <laughs> it is the most Cowboys thing ever. I don't want to just be this loud, eccentric, person every time like a subject comes up about football like that's not my goal but like literally this is so exciting for me <laughs> Brian Schottenheimer is a form you know was a coach for the Seahawks right he's been bad everywhere he's gone he's I mean it like I don't know was it someone from the ringer I think the other day posted, oh Roger Sherman yeah yeah Sherman posted like how he's just been bad everywhere he goes and it's the most Cowboys thing on earth to have a young former quarterback come in, be an off offensive coordinator, immediately find success. Obviously, it's not perfect, but they find success. Like you said, they're doing things with Cooper Rush. Uh, like, obviously, there was wins there, and there was things to build off. And what do they do? They get rid of him. He immediately gets hired. And then they bring in an old, washed coach. Like, it's just... If I didn't hate the Cowboys so much, I would feel bad for their fans. But it's impossible to feel bad for their fans. But really, I just, I, I mean, I think Tej has like more optimism than me. I don't even know that, a, like, I don't think a wide receiver two is going to fix it. I, you couldn't bring in a cop clone copy of CD Lamb. I don't think that's going to fix it. Like, they have a lot of things that they have to figure out with Zeke. You know, is, are they going to cut Zeke? Uh, you know, what do they want to do? Are they, the, the offensive line is getting older. Like the defense is obviously their strong suit, right? Being able to have Michael, Micah Parsons is like that foundational piece in the same way that Nick Bosa can be. Uh, but listen, when the defense is good, fix the offense. And that's not how you fix the offense. It's funny. Like uh, what Connor lives say on Twitter said, uh, quote, Dak having to spend two thirds of his career with Scott Lenahan and Brian Schott numbers as OCs uh, makes me want to vomit. <laughs> That's just where uh, Cowboys fans are at the moment. Like, just right. Not, not great. Um, the Super Bowl, though, is happening uh, this Sunday. Very excited about that. We're Super Bowl Sunday is here. Kind of weird not having any football to watch this weekend and just kind of like, you feel like you're missing. Like, I would check and be like, this is weird like it's just the pro bowl does not count i did not watch one second of the pro bowl i will not be watching the pro bowl not my jam although i think i do think that what they're doing is better i i didn't sure watch it either it's just not for me it's not i i don't know it's just i'm not the target i'm uh i'm not the target I, audience i got merrick kingstown to watch i gotta i gotta watch merrick kingstown which is an absolute banger of 40 minutes every single sunday night on paramount plus it's my is jam that the, uh, hold on is that the hawkeye show yes uh, I mean, shout out to him. I hope he's Jeremy so Renner well. show, but yeah, yeah, that, yeah. that's uh, it's I know what I, I know. Fantastic! <laughs> it is so much fun. I'll watch anything Taylor Sheridan puts together. Like I'm, I'm gonna watch it. Like it's gonna be a banger. Um, but I am curious. Let's start here. The stats that have your attention, Tej, going into this game. What what is the stuff that you've outlined that you've kind of run the numbers on? You've been thinking about that stand out the most to you with the Eagles Chiefs Super Bowl matchup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the first one would be how the Eagles uh, third down sack rate and just their pass rush in general is like leaps and bounds ahead of the rest of the league. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we saw this most recently with how often they got pressure on the 49ers, but this has been a season long thing. And the Chiefs offensive line 
it, from an interior offensive line perspective, their center and their two guards are are really good and have played well this whole year, but their tackles have been susceptible. And we all remember the Super Bowl where the Buccaneers pass rush that was as good as this Eagles pass rush kind of took apart the Chiefs tackles mm. and made it a really tough day for Mahomes. And that's what I'm going to keep an eye on the most in this game is how the Chiefs end up kind of making sure that doesn't happen again. Like when that game happened and that Super Bowl happened, the Chiefs kind of vowed that this would never happen again. And they made moves accordingly so and, and got offensive linemen in there through the draft and through free agency. And it's worked out. Orlando Brown. Yeah, mm-hmm. Orlando Brown. and But Orlando Brown and Andrew Wiley haven't played particularly well this year, I think. And um, so I, I, I think that there's going to be a decent amount of 12 personnel from mm. the in this game. Travis Kelsey, I don't know if you can count him as part of the 12 personnel uh, since he's basically just a big receiver. But like, mm. I think we'll see a lot of Noah Gray, a lot of Blake Bell, some chip help. Isaiah Pacheco staying in to block more often than he's he's kind of going out into the flat just to make sure that that pass rush doesn't get there under two and a half seconds because that's the path for the Eagles defense to really stop the Chiefs in this game. So you're more concerned about the Chiefs stopping the the front seven of the Eagles more so than Chandler Jones disrupting Jason Kelsey and the interior of the, the Eagles offensive line, because we saw it last year with Aaron Donald where he just absolutely wrecked the Cincinnati offensive line and really shifted that game in a multitude of ways. And I think it's fair to say like he got robbed of a MVP uh, in the Super Bowl last year. I know you're a big Stafford guy, but I think Aaron Donald and what he did in the Super Bowl uh, played a big role in the Rams ultimately winning there. But like, I, I guess just because we just saw Chandler Jones do it again and he's got, uh, what is it, 11, 12 sacks this year? And it's just been, Chris Jones has just been awesome all season long. And I'm very curious to see how he how he navigates the best offensive line he'll have faced this year, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's, that's a really good point. But what I kind of come back to is that defense is a weak link system and mm-hmm. offense can, offenses have control over who they can target and who can who they can devote resources to. And I think the Eagles will devote a lot of their resources towards Chris Jones and kind of pick apart some of the other weak links like the Nick Bolton um, kind of linebacker core, led linebacker core that, that the Chiefs have, or some of their secondary pieces like, like the rookie starting on the outside. And when you look at the Eagles, the really interesting thing about them is they have the largest spread of their neutral game pass rate of any team in the league. So they Mm. vary their neutral game pass rate the most of, of any team in the NFL. And they can kind of pick, pick and choose which games they want to be heavy run, heavy Miles Sanders, Jalen hurts design rush games or games where it's AJ Brown, just dunking on people 30 yards down the field, Devante Smith over the middle of the field, catching passes for first down. So I think the Eagles staff, their coaching staff and and kind of their analytics team is so smart where they might be able to just pick and choose their spots in this game to try to mitigate Chris Jones. That's interesting. I mean, your guy got involved. Brandon Ayuk predicted the Chiefs will expose the Eagles. Evan, do you agree with your guy Brandon's assessment there? So, I mean, you know, the, the, the Chiefs have always been the team that I was most terrified of, and that's just because of Patrick, Patrick Mahomes, you know, mm. um, I, 
you can make fun of me all you want, but it, the Brock Purdy injury doesn't happen. The Niners would have beat the Eagles, and it would have been wouldn't have been close. The fact that the Brock Purdy ripped his arm in half, and then the Niners defense proceeded to make them go three and out three times in a row after that was a pretty good indicator of where that defense was and how they played well. Jalen Hurts uh, was not good in that game, and you take away that Devontae Smith non catch early on, like yeah, I well, that game well, was going in a different way. I mean, if you look at the, you know, the, they had three. So the one thing I will say was their short yardage goal line rushing was pretty, pretty effective, right? Because mm. when they got there, even though they got there because of mistakes by the 49ers, whether it be fumbles or penalties, whatever, whatever, when they got there, they were able to punch that ball in. Now, is that a matter of trying to keep up the momentum after your quarterback just got injured? Is it a matter of trying to keep up the momentum with all, everything that's going on? I don't know. But I think the Chiefs can see there's a little bit in there to watch and see kind of how do you get this right if when you play the Eagles. The Eagles are a really good team. They've got a really good defense. Um, but I I do. I, and I, I'm, I am – not trying to be a homer. I genuinely thought the 49ers were a better team. And I think they were. I think the 49ers you know, thought that too. Based well, on Brandon Ayuk saying that, it seems like the Niners came away from that thing. And that's yeah. why they were, I think, they're so frustrated at the end where it's like, if we have a healthy Purdy, we win this 100%, 100%. game. 100%. And I, yeah. you know, I think it was obvious. And the Niners are a second half team all year. They had been and they were playing really well against them in the first half. I, I do think that would have happened. But to answer your question, um, I thought that the Philadelphia Eagles and the Niners had a lot of similarities when it comes to the defense, the offensive weapons, things like that. And I think the Niners were a better team. And I was still worried about Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. So I'm still taking the Chiefs. I think it'll be a good game. Um, but I have a very I have a very strong feeling that the Eagles are not going to win this game. And they I mean they have all the ego in the world, all the confidence they have. I mean, it, it feels like in their head they've already won it. And just the way the fans talk about it, the way the team, the coach, everyone involved, they're like, oh, no, we've won the Super Bowl. And I think the Niners had a little bit of that when they played the Chiefs that one year. We all saw how that happened. Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in the NFL, and we haven't seen anything like him since Tom Brady, and it's not even the same. They're just both really good. But the nature in which Patrick Mahomes is very good is insane. And the fact that he was able to do what he did, you know, last week on essentially a high ankle sprain, which is supposed to take you out for weeks and months, right? It's terrifying. And now he has mm -hmm. two more weeks of rehab and healing. So I'll be taking the Chiefs. And, and if I do, I will be the most miserable human being on earth. Uh, for as long as possible yelling at anybody that I can remotely see wearing green or from Philadelphia. Um, on the flip side, though, if you had to like outline Tej, how this game is won by the Eagles, how is it won? Like if you had to say like, this is why the Eagles beat the Chiefs. Why do you think it like your clairvoyant hat on right now? Like how do they ultimately beat them? Like we we're talking about this on the pod next Monday. What happened? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, first, I, I think, again, like what I was mentioning earlier, I think their pass rush gets home often and early and kind of puts the Chiefs into a hole. Uh, and like kind of getting from that, if the Eagles go up 
uh, early in the game, I do kind of see think that they have a better chance to win than most teams when they get a lead in a mm. similar situation because the Eagles are set up so well to play with a lead. They have one of the most efficient rushing offenses in recent NFL history. It's up there with the 2018 Rams and the 2016 Falcons and some of the really, really good rushing offenses that we've seen lately. So they can kind of control the game from that perspective if they have to. And then we've also seen... Jalen Hurts ranks top five in expected points added per play when playing with a lead this season, Mm. but ranks below average when not playing with a lead. So when Mm. when the Eagles are in situations where you don't have a tell of if they're going to run or pass, they have been really, really good in those situations. And I think that kind of speaks to the testament of how well their offense is schemed up alongside with what Hertz is able to do as a rusher, what the other running backs have been able to do from a rushing perspective. And then Dallas Goddard, AJ Brown and and Devontae Smith being so good after the catch. And I think all of those things together will kind of come together for the Eagles to, to win this game. And another kind of angle on that would be, if they and it's you know it's easy to say like if they get turnovers but if especially if they get interceptions and they've had the tendency to do that this season i think if they're able to pick off mahomes especially in the first half that could be another way or, or path that they end up winning this game so it sounds like we might know pretty early on who's going to win this game like if the eagles are up 14-0 after the first quarter it's like oh they're going to sit on it and the chiefs are kind of going to get the life squeezed out of them from this Eagles team. But it's like if the Eagles jump up or, or if the Chiefs jump up early and they surprise them and Hurts has a bad fumble or something and mm-hmm. off an RPO and like the Chiefs are up 14 nothing, you're like, oh, this is this is over on the Chiefs side of things because they're going to run it up and the, they're not, Jalen Hurts is not going to play well from behind um, in this one. Do, is that kind of where you're at? See, I, I think so. And I feel more confident about if the Chiefs go up early that they should be able to hold on to the lead. But hmm. Mahomes might just be that good. Yeah. Where yeah. even he's able to come back against this Eagles team that basically no one's been able to come back against when hmm. Jalen Hurts has been starting this year. So I don't know. I, I think like everything I think I know about football and like all kind of like the the rules or the paths that we see, like Mahomes breaks all of them. So yeah. Yeah, we'll have to we'll have to see when it actually comes out on Sunday. Listen, listen, man, uh, the 49ers had a pretty good defense in 2019. I think we can all agree on that. Mm-hmm. And their d- data has never been more important than it is right now in 2023 when it comes to the NFL. But there is not there's no way to quantitate what is Patrick Mahomes. Mm-hmm. And and I the fact that I am even able to say this and talk about this without crying is 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 impressive because I, like I said Patrick Mahomes will break your heart. I promise you. I also just I mean he's going to break the mold too. I, I don't know what the data is but like Jalen Hurts is going to get paid soon but like Patrick Mahomes got paid, right? Like he uh, he has a certain percentage of the cap now and when he won it in 2019 or what was it 20 2019 right or 18 was it 18 or 19 2019 2019 yeah the contract extension had not kicked in yet right like Mm -hmm. he was still on that really good rookie contract as a quarterback we just don't see this very often anymore like Stafford just did it this past year with Los Angeles and what he was making with the Rams but generally speaking it's you don't see it like Joe Burrow was in the final group um and he obviously not making that big money yet and then Jalen Hurts and then Brock Purdy um, and then Trey Lance, if it had been Trey Lance, was not in that group either. So it's just we don't see this very often from these quarterbacks where it's like Dak, the Cowboys are running to this, where it's like we paid him a lot of money. And it's like 
it just gets hard. It gets significantly more difficult to win when you have to pay the quarterback um, what you have to pay the quarterback around the league. And um, the Ravens have put it off for as long as humanly possible because they know what's coming when they they lock in Lamar Jackson long term and everything else. And they're already struggling to get enough help at the wide receiver spot around him. I don't know. I I think it'll be interesting to see if Mahomes can pull it off and this group can pull it off, especially the year after making a tough decision on Tyreek Hill and just being like, we have to move on from Tyreek and um, we're just going to, we're going to be fine. We're going to reinvent our offense, but like McCole Hardman's out. He's on IR. They won't have him. They're having to use a special teamer at wide out um, in the slot this past or two weeks ago now. And I just, I'm very interested to see what ultimately unfolds, but it seems like you're leaning chiefs. Like I'm saying chiefs probably, 34 20 chiefs i think they went a little bit comfortably here um do you share that sentiment or are, are you gonna pick the eagles <laughs> i'm i'm leaning eagles right now okay um but i mean i it's it's so tough i think to pick this game i just think that the eagles roster is so stacked that they should be able to kind of win this especially like with with all the stuff that mm-hmm. that we were talking about but i don't know maybe i'll flip as we get close to the game now that i've heard your guys's opinions and i you know i respect both of you and, and how you kind of approach evaluating football games as well so uh it's, it's not that's not locked in but right now if i had to pick like gun to my head I, I would take the eagles yeah and don't don't get me wrong i completely understand that pick like that that roster is one of the most, you know, one of the most stacked rosters we've seen in a Super Bowl for a long time. It's definitely the better roster, top to bottom. The Eagles. It's just, it's so funny. Where I just feel so dumb to say, I'm like, I just don't see Mahomes losing to Jalen Hurts. But like, I just, I don't see Mahomes losing to Jalen Hurts in the Super Bowl. I think Jalen Hurts is an awesome story. I love Jalen Hurts. I just, what we saw this past week, and I just think he's going to have to go throw for throw and have to do a little bit more to beat Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs in this game. And I just. It's not the same. Like Joe Burrow and Patrick Mahomes, Trevor Lawrence and Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes, like Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes. Like there's just certain guys around the league that can go throw for throw. And I just trust more in a winner go home game. We haven't seen him with Jalen Hurts. He hasn't been pushed. And part of it's not his fault. Like they were the number one overall seed. So you get a bye and then you beat the Niners under those circumstances. And he wasn't great in that game. So we haven't really seen him on the big stage like this. No, no, no. Where- he, listen, you're so nice. He was ass. <laughs> he was not good. He was really not good. They mm. had him in a vice grip. They like they He threw from a collective like 40 yards between Devontae Smith and A.J. Brown, two of the best receivers, probably the best tandem of receivers in the NFL. Mm. He had them... Yeah, but I will say the one thing that is so frustrating for me is like there's no rhyme or reason to how any of this works. As a 49ers fan, I'm like, they just need to get a quarterback. They need a quarterback, but it's like Joe Burrow has a – you know, he is like one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, and they can't get it done. And then you look, it's like Matt Stafford. They get a quarterback, and then they win. And it's like the Niners can't win. They don't have it. It's like – I just wish there'd be some parody and there's none. It doesn't like you can have one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL and still lose. You cannot and win unless you're the Niners. Like the only thing that really, the only constant is Patrick Mahomes. And I think basically every Super Bowl participant or Super Bowl winner for at least like the past five years either has a Hall of Fame quarterback that's towards the end of the contract extension that they signed. And that way their, their cap hit is lower 
relative to the league. Like Patrick Mahomes is the fifth highest paid quarterback in the league this year. Like he's not the highest paid, right? Because of kind of like the way they spread out money in his contract, or you have a quarterback on a rookie deal or, or some type of deal like that. So like that's, that's kind of what it is. That's why if like the chiefs end up winning the super bowl, like a, a, I think a Super Bowl winner hasn't won taking up more than thirteen percent of their cap. That's what, it, yeah, in, yeah, and in, in in a while now, and like Mahomes took up seventeen percent, right? So that would mm. kind of break the mold. And so I I agree with you, like he he might just be like that that good where they were able to trade away Tyreek Hill and he's able to take up that much money alongside Chris Jones also taking up a lot of money there as well where they're they're still able to win it because of just like the level that him and Kelsey and Andy Reid are able to get their pass game to. I like it. Um, Evan, your final prediction on the Super Bowl. What do you think it actually is? What's your official prediction? I don't think it's going to be an offensive blowout. You know, I don't think anyone's blowing anybody out. Um, (laughs) Oh, man, it breaks my heart. But, yeah, I think it's going to be very similar to the Chiefs and Niners game, right? Mm -hmm. You're going to have a really good defense. uh, And then I think at the end, Patrick Mahomes goes Super Saiyan and they win. so what the score is, I'm not really big on score predictions because the probability is always so low. But I'll just say, uh, let's yeah, let's say twenty to twenty to thirty one. Okay. Yeah, I think it's double digits. I think they ultimately whatever. It, what's the f- spread? I don't even know what it is right now. Philly one and a half. Oh yeah, just I would absolutely just get, that's just oh, not a be- gambling man, but I would absolutely. But uh, significant money if I if I was that kind of guy. On significant, the yeah, on that yeah. one. Um, there you go, uh, Tage. What can the good folks check out from you across the interwebs, podcast, writing front, everything else? Uh, what would you like to plug as we wrap up here tonight? Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks for letting me have the opportunity to do this. Uh, yeah, I have my my podcast that I do with my friend Arjun Menon, um, mm-hmm. and, and it's called Take the Points, and you can check it out on Apple or Spotify, and then you can follow me on Twitter at T-E-J-F-B Analytics, so Tage FB Analytics, as well as my uh, the, the Twitter account that I kind of run for the place I work, Sumer Sports, which is just mm. Sumer Sports, S-U-M-E-R, and then sports. So It's great. I'm excited for it. And I think the, the future's bright. Eric and Thomas are great on mm-hmm. their show. Um, and I'm a big Thomas guy. He seems cool. Like Thomas yeah, seems great. like a fun hang and a cool dude. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, he's, he's a lot of fun. And like, I, you know, the a lot of the stuff that they're working on right now is, is super cool there. Um, and, and Thomas has done a really good job like setting it all up. Yeah, there you go. Great style, great glasses, great frames. Like he's got a, he's got a good look, the silver Fox. He's uh, I miss Thomas Dimitrov over here in Atlanta. Um, Evan, Evan Swords, all that good stuff. Anything you want to plug as we wrap up here tonight? Uh, yeah, I mean, definitely make sure to check out the uh, Take the Points podcast and, of mm-hmm. course, the, the Chase Thomas podcast. And uh, uh, shout out to uh, my late dog, Titus. I finally got that up. I moved uh, some things around. Pretty happy about Very that. Cool. That's what I got in my is life. Is it a photo or is it a drawing? Oh, no, it's it's like a photo of him that they kind of like artistically like made into a painting. Type Very thing. cool. I don't know. But uh, no, that's all I got to, to promote. My dog, Titus. Uh, other than that, take care, everyone. Really good there you go. chatting with Titus. It was really great. Yeah, yeah it was great meeting you, man. Hey, we'd love to have you back on in the future. Enjoy the week, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon.
All right, we're back here on the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I'm now joined by a first-timer. He covers a team that was really good as I was growing up, and just <laughs> it's been a little bit more rough uh, in my late 20s and early 30s here. But San Antonio Spurs, it's all about Victor Wimbanyana. It's all about Victor Wimbanyana right now. I assume for Spurs writers, Spurs staffers, Spurs front office folks, Spurs fans, it's like the bottoming out has happened where it's like you 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 were a contender and then you make the Kawhi Leonard trade and then DeMar DeRozan keeps this thing kind of afloat where you're a pseudo playoff team and then it gets a little bit worse and a little bit worse and now you're at this full-on rebuilding stage what we just we haven't seen in so long and it's just kind of wild to see where the Spurs are I like I do a double take Sometimes when I like I'm doing my daily just check-ins in the standings, and you're like, man, it's just so weird to see the Spurs at the bottom of the Western Conference. It just it looks wrong. Uh, but here to talk all things Spurs, we got Noah Magaro, George, Noah. Good evening, sir. How are you? I'm great. I'm ready to talk about the Spurs. I'm excited to talk to you about some basketball. So thanks for having me, and I'm you know really excited to get this thing on the road. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, the first thing I want to ask you about uh, Noah is. In terms of on the court, what would you say has been the best thing about the Spurs strictly on the court? None of the draft stuff, none of the off the court stuff, just like what you've seen through 50 or so games this year, right before the All-Star break. Like this was the this has been the most encouraging thing about the way the Spurs have played this year. Definitely. So I think a lot of people look at this team, whether you're you know, a, a diehard fan or you're a casual fan, or maybe you're just an NBA fan and you don't care about the Spurs. You look at the mm-hmm. record and you go, wow, this team sucks. They're not good. They're not fun to watch. I, I had no interest in a, what, a 14-15 win team. Mm. But I think the thing that's easily discounted is the way in which they have tanked. It's, to mm. me, very unique compared to other teams. You look at teams like the Thunder mm. a year ago, the Houston Rockets, the Pistons this year, who they're losing on purpose. They're not putting out functional lineups. They're not really trying to do anything except get a top pick. Mm. And while that's the Spurs goal, right? They're trying to get that lottery pick. They're trying to win the lottery. They want Scoot Henderson or a Victor Wimbanyama. They have fielded lineups that are trying to win, that are competitive. Most games, they are in the game for one, two, three quarters, and then they kind of fall apart in the fourth quarter. They're the worst fourth quarter team in the NBA. So I think just watching them foster development rather than just say you know go play and do whatever you want and there's actual structure and you can see that development it is tangible on a nightly basis from guys like Keldon Johnson to Malachi Branham to Devin Vassell who's out right now but has been really great this season I think that's been the best thing because it's not just them going out there and giving up it's them trying to win and coach Popovich still trying to hold these you know 19 year old 20 year olds early 20 somethings accountable which I think is really great for their development and their long-term outlook. So that's been the best part of the season for me. What is Keldon Johnson's ceiling? Now that we've had a couple of years, have you adjusted? Do you feel like you have a pretty good idea of like where we're at with Keldon and what he can fully be? Is it fully maximized for you as to what he is? Do you think the staff is a pretty good feel in front office at this point? Or do you think there's still untapped uh, potential with him as a bigger, <laughs> bigger star than maybe some folks maybe were like, oh, it's a possibility, but it's kind of changed to more role player type type vibes. Yeah, with I think fans for the most part, like Spurs fans, they've kind of had Keldon Johnson kind of like shoved down, you know, their throats and, and kind of mm-hmm. thrust in their face because he's kind of the de facto face of the franchise now that they don't really have a superstar or an all star or anything mm-hmm. like that. 
But to be completely honest with you, I've you know been watching Keldon since he played at Oak Hill High School. I watched him at Kentucky. I've watched him in the G League. I've watched him with the Spurs. Mm-hmm. He's a solid player, but in my estimation, just from all the tape that I've watched on him, the numbers, he's not a good defender. And he's probably like your third to fourth best player on a championship team on the offensive end. So he's a guy who can't really create his own shot that well. He gets downhill and he's good at attacking the rim. Um, you know, he he's pretty good at getting to the free throw line, but he's not a guy who's pulling up off the dribble. He's not a guy who has a dynamic handle. He's not someone who, you know, has a lot of shot versatility, you know, coming off screens or shooting off the move or, you know, catch and shoot in transition. He's mostly a stationary three-point shooter. And whereas last season he was shooting 40% from three almost, this season, the numbers have dropped because teams know what he is. He's the main focus, and it's hard for him to get an open shot just standing still. So kudos to him for doing the most with what he's got, which is not very much with the Spurs team, obviously. But to me, he's may not be at his ceiling, but I don't really see a superstar player or a perennial all-star. I see a guy who, if the Spurs are winning and everything's firing on all cylinders and they're you know, a, one of the best teams in the West, then maybe he's like your second all-star, like a Drew Holiday, you know, who, mm. who gets in because your record is so good. But on his own merits, probably not. And I, and I know that probably hurts Spurs fans to hear, and I get backlash for that sometimes. But love him. Just I think it's better to be realistic with what he is than lie to the fans. Interesting. What's been the biggest difference between watching DeJounte Murray be the guy for years and then watching this team this year without DeJounte? Because, I mean, I'm a Hawks guy and um, watched a lot of DeJounte up close, and I love DeJounte. (laughs) He's been the best player on the Hawks all season long, and um, he's just so much fun to watch on defense, and, like, I just make it a note to, like, every game is, like, he's who I follow around uh, most nights because he's just so active, and he's so smart with his hands, and he's long, and he's fun. He's so fun in transition. Uh, He's shooting the ball really well of late. Uh, he loves the mid range, but the three point shot has been there. Um, good leader. I don't know. I I've really enjoyed the DeJounte experience thus far here in Atlanta, but for you watching this team without DeJounte this year, how weird has it been just him not being there and, uh, having different guys have to lead the show because he was just the de facto kind of like what you're saying with Keldon. He was the de facto guy for, for so many years now. Yeah, this may kind of come off as strange, but it's been refreshing not having him Mm. in San Antonio or a player like, or uh, um, I'm sorry, DeMar DeRozan in San Antonio as well. Mm. Those players are more heliocentric where they're the system and everyone else revolves around them. Um, You know, they get the team into their sets. That's probably not his role in in Atlanta. I Mm. think he kind of trades turns with Trey Young from what I've seen, the three or four games I've seen this season. But it's been refreshing in that they've moved to a more motion-based offense that's equal opportunity. A lot of guys are getting touches. A lot of guys are getting shots. A lot of guys are getting primary ball handling reps. And that's been really nice. I mean, that fosters developments for guys like uh, Keldon Johnson, guys like Devin Vassell, Trey Jones, Malachi Branham, Blake Wesley. Like You see all these guys who, if DeJounte was still here, they're probably running everything through him because... To be honest, he's really not that great of an off-ball player. He's been better shooting the three-ball in Atlanta this season, but still shooting below league average from three in Atlanta, um, still shooting below league average from the field in Atlanta. Like, I love DeJounte. I think he's got a great work ethic, and I think he's done a lot to turn himself from a guy who was overlooked into an all-star. But I also think he's fairly overrated. Like Defensively, he comes up with a lot of steals, but I think sometimes fans kind of, overlook or overrate the value of steals like they see Hmm. activity and they equate that with defense but 
a lot of times he's a gambler, right? He's going to gamble mm -hmm. for steals. If he doesn't get it, he's out of position. He's leaving everybody else scrambling. And you look at his numbers. I mean, he's allowed his opponents over the last three seasons to shoot above 50% from the field. And that's just not very good. So as much as I love DeJounte, I think he's a phenomenal player. I do think he's become a little bit overrated. But happy to see that he's actually on a team that's competing. Because mm -hmm. I think in San Antonio, he was miscast as the number one guy. And I think he was also being done a disservice that if he had stayed here, he would have just had to, you know, tough it out for a rebuild, be carrying a team to the plan. And to be honest, the plan is not fun. Like, mm -hmm. unless you're a team that's really on the cusp of breaking into that contender category, the plan is nothing. It means nothing. So I'm happy for him that he's in a new place with better teammates. And I, I you know, I, I hope the best for him because he really was a pleasure to cover while he was here in San Antonio. I like it. Um, Jakob Pertl, do you think he's ultimately moved in this week? That's a really tough question to answer, and that's a great question. Uh, you know, some people probably value him as a piece that you can add that pushes you over the hump, maybe. Mm. And I think the Spurs value him as someone who can offer them stability as they rebuild because he doesn't really need the ball a lot, but he can also be used as a playmaking hub from the high post. He's one of the best rim protectors in the NBA this season. He covers for a lot of the mistakes on this young team. I just don't know that you're going to get that from anyone else on the roster. If you move Pirtle and he started for you all season, even though Collins has been one of the best backups in the league, I think there's still a pretty steep drop off there. And I think you move him and you're even worse, which, okay, that may be the goal to be worse to maybe to get the better lottery pick. But at the end of the day with Jakob, you're a bottom three team without Jakob, you're still a bottom three team. You can afford to re-sign him. He likes it in San Antonio. So I wouldn't be surprised if they, you know, uh, hold hold out because they want two first rounders and they may not get that. And if they do pull the trigger, do it, you know, grab those assets. But if they're not going to get that, they might as well hold on to him because it's not like they can't afford to pay him. They've got more than enough cap space. But do you think, like, what do you, what is your gut telling you? If you had to say one way or the other after the deadline, do you think he's a spur or no? Do you think they I get think what they so. want? Okay. I think so. I, I just don't see, like, I love Pirtle, and I, and I do think that they're right to value him for two first-rounders. But mm. if you're a contending team, giving up two first-rounders for Yaka Pirtle, who is going to be entering, you know, free agency this summer, could just walk for nothing. Mm. That's a lot. That's a lot to give up for what essentially is going to amount to a half-a-season rental. Mm. And I just don't see teams doing that. Maybe someone's desperate. Maybe mm. the Lakers, but... Even the Laker, like they have Thomas Anthony Bryant's Davis, playing well they have Thomas like, yeah. Bryant, exactly. So it's it's a tough situation. Like, you know, maybe the Kyrie thing LA makes a lot of sense. The other LA, the Clippers, you know? but it's like, like I don't yeah. know what the Clippers would send. They're not sending two and first they still for have Zubach, right? Like, yeah. you know, is, is he going to be coming off the bench? I, I really don't know what they're going to do there. So my gut yeah. tells me he's still in San Antonio after the trade deadline, but you never know. You know, crazier things have happened. Devin Vassell is better at this thing this year than he's ever been. Self-creation. Uh, that mm. was one of the main things that I was pretty skeptical of him coming out of Florida State University. He was a guy who was mostly a, a guy who comes off of you know, screens, pin downs, curls around screens, can catch and shoot a little bit. Didn't really create that much at Florida State. He had two dribble jumpers as a freshman, increased that to 37 as a sophomore. It's not like that's a prolific number. That's basically one per game. And this mm -hmm. season in San Antonio, he's self-created nearly 62% of his offense, which that's a huge jump. I mean, even a year ago, he only self-created 24% of his offense with San Antonio. That's a huge jump. And to see he's become more efficient, 
that's pretty astounding. I'm not saying he's going to be a superstar level player or perennial all-star, but that kind of self-creation jump where you're able to manufacture shots off the dribble, get to your spots, that's pretty impressive. So I've been really happy with him in that aspect, and he's never been better at it in his career than this year. So it seems like, are, is there still star potential? Is he a future all-star to you? Is, is his ceiling higher be. than Keldon Johnson at this point? I think so. I, I just He's able mm. to get to his spots better. He's smoother off the dribble. Um, he, he's able to elevate better on his jumper. He's got a longer wingspan. He's got a higher release point. I think the last piece of the puzzle for him is maybe if he's to enter that all-star territory, he's going to have to start knocking down threes off the dribble. It doesn't have to be you know, at a Dame or Steph or you know, Anthony Simons level or something like that, but just a couple of game and also figure out how to get to the rim more often. Because right mm. now... He finishes decently at the rim, but that's because he picks his spots. He only attempts about two shots at the rim per game. It's not particularly high. He's only getting to the free throw line a couple of times a game. That's also not particularly high. So if he can do those two things, and those are big ifs, he can become an all-star. But time's on his side, right? He's 21 years old. He's shown a lot of growth this season. Unfortunately, he's injured, and he won't be back until after the all-star break. So we'll see if he picks up where he left off. But I'm fairly optimistic for his outcome to be an all-star, fringe all-star level player. Do you think Pop sticks around longer if they end up landing Victor? Well, yeah. Uh, I would say probably so because that sort of expedites your rebuild. Even if they land mm -hmm. Scoot Henderson, who's also a generational talent in his own respect, uh, I could see Pop sticking around. Mm. But that being said, he probably might stick around either way. He's been mm. kind of reinvigorated by being able to coach the young players. He's talked about it with the media where... You know, with Timmy and Tony and Manu and Bruce Bowen and all those veterans who are, you know, either all-stars or all-NBA or all-defense caliber players, you don't have to do a lot of coaching up. You run sets, mm -hmm. you ask them to do their job, they lead by example. But I think the thing that he has really mentioned as he just has loved it this season is being able to have these, you know, as we mentioned, 19-year-old, 20-year-old, 21-year-olds, 22-year-olds out there who need to be coached up, who are learning the X's and O's of the game, who are learning the ins and outs of the game, who need to be you know, kind of brought along slowly. And he enjoys that process of being able to coach them and coach them hard and teach them and hold them accountable. And he's just been a different guy where it seemed like in years past, he was yelling at guys and he was yanking them off the court and he was frustrated after losses to now he's kind of come to terms with the losses and he understands that this is a process and he's enjoying being around the younger players. So, you know, either way, I kind of think he's going to be here for a couple more years at the very least. Sounds kind of like Belichick, where Belichick post Brady, people are wondering if he was going to move on. It's like, I don't know. I feel like some of those guys, the way they're wired, like Nick Saban, people are like, oh, when's it? It's like, this is what they do. Like, this is what this guy does. He's always done. And it's like, I don't think they're looking forward to retirement. I don't think Pop strikes me as someone who's just looking forward to life without basketball. It gives them something to do. It gives some of these guys something to do every day. Exactly. And you know, I, I don't like diving too much into, you know, people's personal lives and speculating, but, you know, his, his wife, Aaron, passed away a couple yeah. of years ago. His kids are grown up. They have families of their own. I just, if he's done with basketball, if, if I'm him, what do you do, right? Like, yeah. what, are, what are you doing if basketball's been your whole life and your kids are adults and your wife has passed away? Like, this is a staple of your life now. It, mm. it always has been, but now so more so than ever. So I could see him sticking around. And on top of that, I mean, even if he doesn't want to coach, like say he becomes like Phil Jackson where he's just not able to travel anymore. Mm. I still see him being heavily involved in the front office. Hmm. Yeah. Um, that's he's 74 now. So, I mean, 
Uh, we'll see. I, I'm trying to think who would be the oldest who's coach the oldest? in NBA. He is. He yeah. became the oldest coach in NBA history three years ago, and he's just <sighs> added upon that record year after year after year for the last three years. So I thought he might be done a few years ago because he made a promise to DeMar and LaMarcus that, you know, I'll stick around as long as you are here. Mm. And then they were gone, and he still stuck around. So it just doesn't feel like he's leaving anytime soon, which, of course, I'm fine with, and I'm sure Spurs fans are fine with as well. If you had to guess who his successor is at this point, who would you guess? I, see, I, I try to be as unbiased as possible and, and remove myself from like any fan biases. But the fa Spurs fan in me, you know, having grown up in the city and been following the team since I was a child, says wants to say Becky Hammond. You know, her contract will eventually run out with the Las Vegas Aces. But right now, I think the most realistic person is probably Brett Brown. I mean, he's been hmm. Pop's buddy. He was a former assistant with him back in the day. He's been a head coach. He's led a rebuilding process in Philadelphia that's, you know, not led to titles, but it definitely led to playoff appearances and deep runs in the playoffs. And, you know, the, the players really respect him, and he's been a big part of the developmental process for these young guys. He's come in early with him, and he's worked with individual players. So I could see him taking over because it's just really tough to see, you know, is it going to be Darius Sangaila? Is it going to be Mitch Johnson? Is it going to be Well, Bill Self Hardy, was the rumor for on, right? And then it's like yeah. his sons now. Isn't his son the G League coach? No, they they moved on. <laughs> oh, okay, on so he's not the G League summer, coach anymore. So, okay, so yeah, he's yeah. definitely out. Bill Self is definitely not going to be that. And he has a lifetime contract with Kansas, right? I mean, yeah. obviously that ends when he wants it to end. Right. But if, if you're Bill Self, you got a fantastic program at Kansas. I would milk that as long as I could because that's a great gig. Becky Hammond would be the best story, though. I think Becky Hammond. I think she would. And I just I wonder too. I mean, I guess we'll see what happens with Ime. Like, cause he pop talked about him and being close with him. I wonder if he's brought back to the staff next year, if he doesn't get a head coaching point. job. That's a really great point too, because I know they had just asked coach pop, some of the Boston media and San Antonio mm -hmm. media when they played the Celtics about, you know, what are your thoughts on Ime? And he was like, I'm not going to go into personal life, but I will tell you, I respect him. He's still a friend. We talk regularly. Yeah. Um, I know he's a great basketball mind. So I could see that even will Hardy, if maybe things don't work out in Utah, but I think the Jazz have a good thing going there. Yeah. They're not a great team, but he's really helped them, I think, exceed all expectations, and he's done a really good job in year one. I just, I don't. And they're think in a rebuild. They're starting this. I don't think on, the timelines right? match. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. Becky Hammond would be a great one. I mean, Brett Brown's, he's just sneaky old. That put him at like 64, 65 when he took over. Yeah. If Pop does it a couple more years, then you're like, well, that won't last. I don't know. I, I don't know. Yeah, you're immediately looking for a successor yeah. or like on the on the hunt. So I get what you're saying. But yeah. right now, I would say maybe there's not an apparent, like an heir yeah. apparent that's super obvious. But Which is kind of wild. You would have assumed because he's been there for so long, they would have had a, a parent. But it's just they've been raided for so many years now that a lot of the heir apparents are just gone. They were there at one point and then they're they're just gone because he's been there exactly. for so long. Like Sean Marks is gone. Monty yeah. Williams is gone. Mike Budenholzer is gone. Mm -hmm. uh, even, gosh, the, the head coach for the Grizzlies who I'm blanking on Taylor, right now. Taylor Jenkins, yeah. I mean, you could even throw Quinn Snyder into the I was going to say, Quinn Snyder might be a Quinn sneaky, Snyder, interesting option. He's just sitting out there. You never know. I mean, there's just yeah. so many options because that coaching tree is so extensive. I, mm. I just, it, I think it's going to be one of those things that will probably be surprised when it happens. Yeah. Um, well, what can we uh, look at from you, Noah, the rest of the week here uh, on the Air Alamo front, the podcast front, the YouTube front? What do you want to plug as we wrap up here tonight? Yeah, well, first off, I really appreciate you bringing me on. As far as plugging stuff, I just became the editor-in-chief over at Air Alamo, so I'm still getting acclimated over there. Mm -hmm. We've got a bunch of Spurs coverage from game day coverage to pregame coverage to analysis to trade rumors and 
all sorts of hypotheticals over there. So check us out there. But as far as the podcast, that is on hold until we kind of finalize things. But mm. uh, Alamo City Limits, that will be the podcast. We're moving from SB Nation over to Fan Sided. Mm. And you can check out my YouTube channel. It's just my name, Nomagaro George. We're doing some film study stuff mm. over there. So uh, really enjoy doing that. Hope to get to, to that soon as soon as I really get you know settled in with Air Alamo. But again, thank you so much for bringing me on. I had a blast talking Spurs basketball and I hope you enjoyed it too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, good luck with the merger and all that good stuff. And uh, I'll have you back on soon. This has been Ingram, radio voice of the Atlanta Braves. And I'm here to tell you that you've reached the end of today's episode of the Chase Thomas podcast. As a friend of the podcast, I'd like to say thank you for listening to today's episode and hope you return for the next one. To show your support for the program, tell a friend or coworker or even a family member about the program. And if you're an Apple podcast listener, leave the show a rating and a review goes a long way. That'll do it for me. But don't forget to listen to myself and the rest of the team at 680 The Fan and the Braves Radio Network this season. Go Braves! Chase, I think I'm going to hear more about you. I really do. I think you've got a way about you, but you're interviewing, mm-hmm. you're, um, pleasantness, you're smart. So I think I'm going to hear big things about you. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.